Good morning. Um, so my name is Rod. And are he, him. I'm a little bit sick today, so hence the mask and hence the second microphone, because we will do a little bit of a passing the microphone around, but I don't want to spray Glenn 20 on it between each person. So if anyone's, yes, if anyone's ever rehearsed for a band in an old school rehearsal studio, you'll be familiar with the smell of Glenn 20 from the microphones. Delightful. Um, so I just want to say before we start that we have a few kids in here and I want to say to the parents of the kids, don't worry about noise. It doesn't really come through to the recording. Um, so, so that's fine. And if you, you can't concentrate or you can't understand what I'm talking about, you can just listen to it later. Um, so just play with your phones. Um, Uh, what we're going to do over the next three, well, it's not really three weeks, from the 11th and then the 18th and the 23rd, is we're going to be on an upward trajectory towards Christmas. So the 23rd is going to be like super positive, and the 18th is going to be really lovely, and today is going to be a bit of a scroogey day, so apologies for that. Um, we're at the end of a series that we've been doing for a few months now on radical humility, radical hospitality, and radical gratitude, and... For Advent, for the lead up to Christmas, we've been talking about gratitude, and um, I tried to make it as gratitude as possible, but I, I've kind of failed. I think sickness is part of that, so um, apologies, but try to keep gratitude in mind. Um, to, I guess listen to what I'm saying through a kind of filter of gratitude, and that will probably help. We are also going to um, start a new series next year, looking at kind of Christianity as a wisdom tradition and talking about stories, rituals and practices. So that's going to be a big focus next year. Uh, and so I thought today could be a little bit of an overlap between the current series on hospitality, humility and gratitude and this future series, stories, rituals and practices. So it's a little taster. Um, the idea with a, with a wisdom tradition and this idea of uh, stories, rituals and practices is that they actually have the capacity to, to shape us in a way that beliefs or propositions don't. They can genuinely transform our lives and transform community in a way that just uh, assenting to rational beliefs never can. Um, and so t today I just want to talk a little bit about the story of Christmas, rituals of Christmas, practices of Christmas, and um, how they might shape us collectively. And think, too, about what in our culture is actually the dominant story and the dominant rituals and practices of Christmas and how they shape us. Um, so as I say, apologies for the kind of grinchy tone. Um, there is a lot that I love about Christmas, uh, especially now that I have children, and there's an incredible sense of, of joy and wonder that you get experiencing Christmas through the eyes of children. And it does put you back in touch with what was really magical about Christmas when you were a kid. Um, but I realized this week that my relationship with Christmas is very much like my relationship with the Soccer World Cup in Qatar. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of colour, a lot of movement, 
but you don't really want to look too closely at it. And you don't really want to think about the underside of it. I was listening. Um, people that are regulars here will know that I'm a podcast obsessive and every talk I give involves a reference to a podcast. Um, this week's feature podcast is Cautionary Tales and it is, um, it's one that sort of looks at things that we can learn from that have happened in society. And this week, uh, the host, Tim Harford, was talking about a Christmas club that called Fair Pack in the UK in 2006 that 150,000 of the poorest families in, in the UK were contributing money to over the year so that they had money saved up for Christmas presents for their kids. And in... Uh, at the end of October 2006, the uh, Fair Pack went into insolvency and all the money by, for, for these poor families, 150,000 families, was lost. And so this episode talks about that and, and focuses on some of the stories of these families, uh, families that, having promised things to their kids, then went into debt, heavy debt, to pay for those things, again, with on credit cards, or with loan sharks so that they ended up paying um, three, four, five times the amount that they'd spent in the, in the subsequent year. Um, there was a story of one stepdad who ended up taking his own life as a result of the collapse of Fairpack. And I know that that is just one very concrete example of something that happens to families in Australia every year. The pressure to give to your kids what everyone else's kids get. Um, the pressure of the Santa Claus myth um, to feel like you need to, and I'm, I'm aware of the kids in the room, so I'll be euphemistic as I talk about this, but, um, but the fact that for the kids, what Santa brings is what this objective figure out there feels that they are worth. And so if your neighbour's kids get huge amounts of stuff from Santa and your kids get nothing and you've got no way of making sense of that for them, what a, what a brutal thing to have to endure as a parent. Um, so just like all of those migrant workers who died making the stadiums in Qatar, there is a very, very dark underside to the Western Christmas that we celebrate. And it does make you think about, um, when you think of wisdom traditions, when you think of stories and rituals and practices, what, what is the real story of Christmas that is shaping the rituals and practices that we, we have in the Western Christmas? What kind of God is it that we are worshipping with the way that we celebrate Christmas? Um, because we have to be out of here at 12.30, I'm not going to throw this over to you. Uh, that's nice and Christmassy, Sam. Thanks. And the thing is, <clears throat> I think not just here, but many people in our culture would feel like the values of Christmas should be different from how Christmas actually pans out. Um, I was struck by the irony of what Annika said before about how um, they like Christmas personally. And I thought, yeah, I like Christmas personally as well. I just hate it collectively. Uh, because it's, it's the collective effects of what it is that we 
do and what it is we believe and the practices and rituals of Christmas that are, that are so destructive to those that have so little. Let's have a look at a slide or two. Um, so this is the kind of framing up of our series. That It's like a phrase that we have used to try to help remind ourselves or make sense of the relationship of humility, hospitality, and gratitude. Um, I need you, humility. You need me, hospitality. And we are both dependent on each other's gifts. Uh, so we'll come back to that again in a minute to think about Christmas and how we might um, think of that in the light of Christmas. But um, we're going to look at just a few passages that I sent out earlier this week in a minute. Um, but before we do that, I'm going to ask you this question later on. So I thought I'd give you a heads up so you can just sort of ruminate on it as we look at Scripture and as I say a few more things. Um, so given what I was just saying about the realities of Christmas, the dark underbelly of Christmas, how do we cultivate practices of standing with the poor and those on the underside of Christmas as a community? Um, and bearing in mind that it's easy to feel like those people are outside of our community, but they're not necessarily outside of our community. And that's one of the tragic things about Christmas shame, that, of course, you feel the need to hide it. Um, and so for people that are doing it tough at Christmas time, even if they're within community, it's easy to not reach out for help, not let anyone know that you are struggling because of the shame that's associated with that. Um, so that's the question we'll come back to. Um, what I want to do now um, and is just look at some, just three very short passages from the Gospel of Luke. Um, yeah, I think Luke was probably the Gospel writer that was most in touch with the poor and the predicament of the poor and um, so his gospel is a great resource for us to think about um, poverty in relation to the Christmas story. Um, would someone like to read this for us? Um, if you read it you have to come up and get the uncontaminated microphone so you have to do a little walk of shame. Thanks Mark. Luke chapter 2 verse 6 to 7. In Bethlehem the time came for the baby to be born. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in a simple cloth and placed him in a feeding trough for cattle because there was no guest room available for them. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary of Magdala, Joanna the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Uh, verse 58, 57, 58, Luke chapter 9. As Jesus and the disciples were walking along the road, they met a fellow traveller who said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the chosen one has no place to lay his head. Thanks, Mark. Okay, so I'm just I'm going to leave those passages up there while I just say a few, just a few reflections on those. And um, yeah, we'll, remembering, we'll come back to this question. This is the question I want us to think about as as I just share some thoughts on the story, 
And this is the question that we'll come back to. Um, but as, as you kind of sit and look at those verses, those passages, I just want to say a little bit about why I chose them and what I think they tell us about the story of Christmas or a story of Christmas. Um, so in relation to our three words, humility, hospitality, and gratitude, I think in the incarnation, in God becoming human, we see this being that supplies all our needs becoming a vulnerable and needy child. God who in every moment is showing hospitality to us submits in the incarnation to our hospitality. The hospitality of Mary's womb and then her arms, then the household of Mary and Joseph. And in those other passages, we see that in Jesus' adult ministry as well, he was homeless. And not just homeless, but also completely dependent on others, mainly women in his followers, for his basic needs. It really throws the framework that we have talked about you meet my needs, I meet yours, and we both express gratitude for met needs, it, um, it really throws it into stark relief, um, the way that Jesus embraces humility. Um, God embraces humility, having been the source of all hospitality. Um, and Jesus embracing humility like this, uh, it really helps as Tamsin shared a couple of weeks ago to ensure that we don't see the meeting of needs and the expression of gratitude as part of a system of debt to God that needs to be repaid, but that we can experience it the way Jesus did, to celebrate the free and abundant gifts that God invites us into. It's quite extraordinary how, as kind of an adult Near Eastern male, Jesus seemed to express absolutely no shame, no sense of debt in being dependent on others. Just an overflowing gratitude to God as the source of all good things. So in Jesus we see God who models hospitality in the gift of creation, now modelling humility and gratitude in the way Jesus receives from others and has his needs met without shame and without bitterness. In my weekly note this week that I sent out, I just talked about what an incredible contrast it is between Jesus who has nothing and yet experiences life with such gratitude and me who I have everything and yet, especially at this time of year, I so struggle to be in contact with any sense of gratitude. It's all stress, frustration, and a kind of resentment. And it feels like that, you know, what is the fruit? And when we talk about a wisdom tradition, what are the fruits of the stories and rituals and practices that you pursue? And when we think about the wisdom tradition, air quotes for those listening, of um, consumer capitalism, yeah, it's the same. What's the story? And what are the fruits of that story? What are the rituals and practices and what are the fruits of those rituals 
and practices? Um, and how do we as a community resist those stories and rituals and practices and stand with this story of Jesus through the rituals and practices that we embody in a way that bears beautiful fruit, in a way that creates hospitality and gratitude. Um, and if you thought I have the answer, you're wrong. I don't know at all. But one thing I did want to say before we, we look at our question and I, you help us out. <laughs> oh, yeah, so I, I meant to say, yeah, so this, what we see in Jesus is, yeah, this vision of humility, hospitality and gratitude. God meets my needs through you. God meets your needs through me. We are both dependent on God's gifts. Um, yeah, so to our question, I just want to, as before I hand over to you, I just want to point out um, when we ask how do we cultivate practices of standing with the poor and those on the underside of Christmas as a community, I think the as a community part is incredibly important. Uh, one of the amazing illustrations that Tim Harford um, used in talking about Christmas in his podcast app uh, was talking about the Grinch that stole Christmas and how the Grinch stole everyone's presence. And because of that, the Grinch unintentionally created solidarity in the community. And so the spirit of Christmas was not stolen because they were able to be drawn together by their shared loss to celebrate and mourn together. And the tragedy of what happens in our culture is that because of the way poverty in our culture works, there's no solidarity. There's just shame and isolation for people. Sorry? Sorry? Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's what we need to do. <laughs> exactly. We need to steal everyone's gifts over Christmas to create solidarity. Yeah. So that's... Shane's got this, the, the ball rolling <laughs> with a fantastic suggestion of collective rituals and practices that might help us stand with the poor, steal gifts from the rich and give them to the poor as a... Um, yes as a crime church. Uh, any other thoughts? So Annika has generously offered to come up and be the custodian of the microphone. So I've noticed this trend or culture of people sharing photos of the things that they got for Christmas on social media and uh, perhaps changing the way we feel grateful to be something that doesn't need to be to show what great gifts you got with your your own community and so maybe as a church a community of, that's not going look at all the great things that I got for Christmas and sort of being able to appreciate that um, without sort of signaling how fortunate you are I suppose yeah yeah great thank you hi thank you um, I'm not sure together as a community how we can do that, but I think just opening up the question is, is the first step. Um, and then just sharing ideas is the second step, which was what we're doing. Um, but I have heard quite a bit on the radio and, and thought about it and have acted on it quite a lot of just keeping Christmas simple and um, 
giving to, to charities or, you know, whatever your choice is, rather than giving gifts to each other. And the other gift is a gift of time. So, you know, it doesn't cost anything but in dollar sense, but if you offer to, to give your time to babysit or to clean out a shed or do whatever, you know, that's quite a humbling thing and it gives a lot to that person. So, I mean, there's lots of ideas around that, that sort of area where I, I just think, you know, we're, we're at a family thing the other day and, and everyone was just giving each other, I won't say a name, but, you know, um, hardware gift cards. <laughs> and, um, and I think in the end people were just really swapping cards, you know, and I thought that's not that meaningful. Um, of just giving, you know, a bit of cash and you go off and buy whatever you want. But so I just thought it's there's there is more meaning. And and also to, to give the children, like I, I started giving my niece and nephew, um, you know, the old days where you could buy a goat or whatever through one of the community places. And it took them a while to understand what was happening. But hopefully in the long term, you know, they sort of got it that they weren't getting something tangible they were actually giving in that sense. Yeah, thanks, Louise. Um, this kind of bounces off what you were talking about. I always, um, kind of people who've got the courage of vulnerability and honesty, like the kind of the calling out of the absurdity, I think that's somehow a, a gift... Um, I, I'm just thinking back to last year's Christmas posts. There's always the really joyful ones, which, you know, nothing harmful, but those people who are really brutally honest on Facebook about the complexities of this time. And I always appreciate the... Or people in the chaotic household or a chaotic kitchen or just this, <clears throat> I don't know, the in the vulnerability of just being really honest and is a real gift, strangely, to others who may not... not to promote having it all together, but just to promote, oh, this can be really complex and challenging, but gratitude lives in things other, you know, really interesting other things other than stuff, you know, that it's, I don't know, but. Um, I've got a thought, but it's wrapped up in a story because I don't really know how to express it in any other way, but um, uh, a few years ago, um, I was working with um, some refugee guys who were in detention and we used to bring them out. I think they actually came here once and cooked and stuff for people. And um, we had the church approach us and say, oh, yeah, we'd love to meet them and, you know, bring them over to our church and we'll cook for them. Um, and thankfully, um, the person in charge was like, oh, I think, I think they'd like to cook for you. Um, and they came and cooked a beautiful Sri Lankan uh, meal, which was much better than what the church would have cooked for them. Um, and the senior pastor said at the end of it, we would have been ashamed if we'd cooked for them. Um, but I think in that, they were able to um, give, and I think it goes back to that phrase that we've been looking at, that allowing others to, to give something to you and to share, um, yeah, time, um, share their story, um, and bring them from the outside and to, to the inside, I think is really powerful. And to, yeah, make them feel part of, part of it, um, that they have something to offer, to dignify them, yeah. Thanks, Matt, beautiful. 
it was funny, just before church this morning, um, I'd forgotten to get milk. And so Tilly and I, you know, quickly drove down to Peter Monty's to get some milk and, you know, in a rush because we have to be back and we have to start on time. And we have to do the, all the important things. And there was a homeless guy outside and until he said, can we buy him something as well? I said, no, no, we don't have time. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, it just, yes, the way what's important just comes out in these, what's important to you just comes out in these snap decisions. And I guess um, one of the things we can do as a community is just do what it is that we do at Christmas, and that is, remind ourselves of a different way of understanding Christmas and um, through simple rituals like communion, remind ourselves that um, this culture of gift giving that we have in our kind of Western consumerist culture can be different, that it can be framed differently, that what a gift is, um, is something that can be shifted, can be understood differently. Uh, so as we as we come to communion, um, I guess it's again a reminder of a different part of the story of Jesus, but which still has to do with the meeting of need and with gift and with gratitude. Uh, that Jesus, who became this incredibly needy and vulnerable child endured a very vulnerable death to meet our need. And there's something, you know, beautiful about Matt's story, the way it exposes the, um, the complexity of vulnerability and that um, there is this constant dance and there should be this constant dance between humility and hospitality vulnerability and hospitality in the way that we engage with others um, because if it if it's not that it can become charity it become, can become just another form of power over uh, and the beauty of the incarnation is the way that we see the delicacy of that dance of of humility and hospitality of having Jesus having his needs met and meeting our needs in often in the same act and that it is kind of trying to f do, do that dance as a community with each other and with those outside this community that we really embody what it is to be followers of Jesus. Um, so as we come forward, uh, what we normally do is um, crack the crackers. It's elevated to keep it soundproof this morning. Um, so crack the crackers, take a little bit of cracker, take a little bit of juice, and then we kind of form a loose circle. And when everyone has crackers and juice, then we'll eat and drink together. Please don't feel any pressure to participate in this if you don't uh, feel comfortable, or like me, you've got a cold and you don't want to um, share that with anyone else. Um, but yeah, so feel free not to participate, but if you would like to, come forward. Take some cracker and juice, and when we're all ready, we will eat and drink together. One thing that we haven't 
talked about this morning in terms of the dark underside of Christmas is just the emotional underside of it. I know for many of us, because of complex relationships with family, because of perhaps loved ones who have died, uh, loved ones the other side of the globe, Christmas can be a very difficult um, and painful time. And so to finish this morning as a, as a benediction and as a blessing, I wanted to offer um, a blessing by Jan Richardson, which is about the fact that the Christmas story also reminds us that when things are very dark and when things seem very bleak, there can be little flickers of light and hope and the birth of a child in an obscure village that no one but uh, some random kings elsewhere and a couple of shepherds were aware of um, that, yeah, that can be life and hope for us. So uh, let me find it. Here it is on that night. So this is our blessing and benediction, and then stay around and chat for a little while. On that night, when you are holding your very last hope, thinking to let it go as too small to be saved or sanctified, on that night when you turn away at last from the far horizon over which you had thought your life would come to find you, on that night, believe me, this is where the ache will give way to the mystery. And the blessing that seemed so distant will quietly come to meet you, holding your heart in its two luminous hands. Amen. Go in peace.